Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest on the show this week is Via Verbeek, who comes on to tell us just about the story of her varied and quite interesting mountain bike career, including her wild start to the sport in Bromont, Canada, and the impressive list of very big names in the sport that she got to meet very early on, her trajectory from racing World Cup downhill to doing more Crankworks events to doing more free ride events now, including the upcoming Proving Grounds. And she says some really interesting stuff about how her motivation structure works and what keeps her going and along the way just proves herself to be a very good storyteller as well and an interesting thoughtful guest all around this is a really fun one and we'll get right to it in a moment but before we do i just wanted to take a quick moment to encourage you to check out our blister membership for all of our member deals on bike and ski gear as well as the ability to send us an email and get a recommendation before you buy a bike or upgrade your current ride or even just try to figure out some settings changes on it because we've got a very good track record of helping people get on the right stuff or in some cases not actually spend money that they don't need to including just getting set up figured out better on a current bike so that you don't need to drop a bunch of money on a new one so check that out there's a link in the show notes and with that let's get right to my conversation with Vea Verbeek Vea, great to have you on, and thanks for taking the time to chat. How are you today, and where are you today? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I am currently in Nanaimo uh, on Vancouver Island in BC, uh, just a couple of days before I head south to Proving Grounds. Yeah, we'll get into it more about Proving Grounds in a little bit here, but wanted to kick it off first just by going into your background a little bit as a mountain biker and kind of where that whole journey got started for you. Um, that would take you back to when I was 17 years old, uh, which is actually pretty late for most mountain bike athletes, but, uh, snowboarding actually used to be my, my main thing, my main sport. And while snowboarding, I bumped into this group of guys that also turned out to be mountain bikers. So when the seasons changed that winter, um, they came back to the same mountain resort where I kind of grew up around. It's called Bromont in Quebec on the East coast. And they brought their bikes and I was happily hanging out with them and hopped on their bikes and just got all sorts of hand me downs and borrowed their bikes and just loved it right away. And there's this like crew of friend of mine that also were along for that ride. And so, uh, yeah, some of us just saved up some money and got our own bikes and started working like at the like ski like biking operations, like as lifties. So we would like lift the bikes onto the lifts and on our days off or evenings off, we'd go ride bikes with our friends. And uh, that's how it kicked off. Well, yeah, certainly seems like something clicked there. It's working out okay. Yeah. Obviously, no one listening to this really kind of needs to hear that uh, there's some pretty good riding in BC where you're at now, but the Quebec mountain bike scene's a little less well-known. What was it like in those days and kind of what sort of riding were you doing for the most part you obviously mentioned bromont and riding the park a bit but what was going on in quebec then likewise honestly i know it's grown a lot since then but at the time even when i was 17 i literally had no idea mountain biking was even a thing that existed until those guys put it on the map for me and i'm like definitely the kind of person that like 
is stoked to try any sort of thing that sounds pretty cool. And now I'm making something super cool. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I definitely gave it a go and I really stuck to it. Um, which was, I don't know, one of the sports that I really stuck to, like I did a lot of like all sorts of sports. I tried everything. Like I, I did a lot of gymnastics. I did some horseback riding, some swimming, skiing, snowboarding, uh, amongst other things, but mountain biking really stuck out for me because it was just that one sport where it's always, there's always something new. There's always something that keeps it super interesting. There's always a huge learning curve. And I'm still like now a dozen years later, like learning so much. And like, there's so many different disciplines within mountain biking and so many different styles of riding. And even if you stuck to the same kind of, in, of biking, like there's different weather patterns, there's different mountains with different kind of conditions and, and terrain. And so it's just always super, super fresh. So unlike all the other sports I tried before, I would kind of like plateau at a certain skill level and kind of just like, I don't know, for example, with gymnastics, I did that for 10 years, but like at some point I was like, I'm not going to do a double backflip. I'm just, I'm not going to do like a triple such and so-and-so. Like I was just kind of like stuck to those same tricks that I had done for years and I was happy with sticking to that, but it just kind of got a little bit boring. And so with biking, it was just like always something new and uh, yeah, I love it in all shape or form. Mountain biking is super rad. (laughs) Yeah. That makes a lot of sense and kind of shows in your career trajectory in that you've dabbled in a whole lot of different mountain biking disciplines and have done a lot of different stuff. It's not super easy to sort of pigeonhole you into being a downhill racer or anything else. You've, you've done a lot of different stuff, which we'll, we'll go deeper on here in a few, but when you were kind of getting that early start, what, I mean, you talked about how mountain biking stuck because it had just so much variety within it and so many different ways that you could ride a mountain bike and keep things fresh and different. But what was it about it that clicked right off the bat and what was, what drew you in in those early days and what kind of riding were you doing the most of at that stage? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think what really stuck with me is like, I was always super into action sports, like just, you know, like snowboarding, it wasn't just like some casual snowboarding. It was like park riding and like, you look up to it and you look up to like pros and like what is possible out there. And like, you just like to, I just love to push myself. Right. So with mountain biking, there was just so much potential for pushing yourself. Like it was, it is, it still is unlimited really. Um, and so, and so, yeah, that's, that's really, it was really exciting is like adrenaline rushes and it just makes you feel so alive. But even at the very beginning, when I started, you're just potting around, right. You're not like flying down the mountain, like I would be 10 years later, but at the time, every single route or every single rock is like a little obstacle you're going over. And it's just like, wow. And it's like being out in the forest in the mountains is also a big factor. And you're like, along with your friends out somewhere gorgeous and feels right. I don't know. It's just I feel good outside in the forest. Um, and then with biking comes the ability to like go to different mountains and start traveling. And that opens opportunities of like new places to check out. And that's just like, that's sort of like exploring like passion of mine of traveling, exploring, being outdoors with your friends and having that adrenaline rush at the same time. Like it's kind of hard to uh, get any better than that. And those guys that got me into biking, the the scene back in Bromont was very downhill racing um, focused. Like there was a lot of team managers that came out of Quebec 
they were riders at the time, but they became team managers for World Cup teams. And they would all base themselves, everybody would basically rent condos on the mountain in Bromont every summer. So even if people are from like Montreal or Quebec City or just outside the outskirts of Bromont, every summer, everybody would kind of gathered and all stayed on the same street. So you all had like condos and you just hop from condo to condo for party every now and then or just always someone around to go riding or partying with. Um, and the industry just really, or at least that environment really led me to the, the downhill racing industry because there was those people, key people that were living there and you were just exposed to it so much. Like t- the TV would like constantly 24 seven be playing uh, mountain bike films. And a lot of those films we were watching were from the downhill racing scene. So you look up to those riders, you get to know who, who are the like top players. And every now and then those team managers would have their riders come and stay in Bromont to base out of between some races and then they would send us to like show them around trails in Bromont. So it's just like so cool because like you're learning about the sport, you're seeing the crazy things they're doing, and then they come in your town. And then also I spoke French, so I had to like kick my butt, speak English because they were not going to speak French, and then show them around my town. And at the same time, I kind of ex- exponentially quickly learned uh, how to ride a bike. Thankfully, I think due to gymnastics, I had pretty good body awareness and just kind of learned really quickly and being exposed and seeing like how crazy fast and like the the kind of skills that you, that a professional racer has being exposed to that kind of visual 24 seven, just, I don't know. I think it just got engraved in my brain and my muscle memory. And I just like picked it up pretty quickly along a lot of injuries along, (laughs) along the way as well, but it was just a very complete environment. And it was just really, like the drive that I was getting from it was super super motivating to like get out there and I was like yeah I want to go and race downhill world cups for sure like that was the one thing I got exposed to and I could see where it starts where you train and the riders that got did it as a professional job um not that it was like motivating me to do it as a professional career but just more so I thought it was so rad to like be that good on the bike and just send it and like I don't know it's just the kind of stuff that just fuels your fire. And I was like super stoked to, to learn and be that kind of, be that kind of rider. And then when you have like the progression going so quickly, it's super motivating to just stick with it and, and keep going. Yeah, that all makes sense. And for sure, kind of just having that environment there would draw you into downhill racing specifically pretty quickly. I'm sure. Uh, are there any particular standout stories or moments from giving a bunch of those pro riders a tour around Bromont that you mentioned. I can imagine you met some pretty big names and had some interesting stuff from doing that. Anything that comes to mind readily? Totally. I mean, yeah, we were pretty fortunate. Like those guys that were based out of Bromont, they, I mean, they started with pretty low key riders, which turned out to be, they turned out to be legends later on. Like, uh, so for example, Matthew Dupel was team manager for uh, Stevie Smith, who's like our legendary Canadian uh, which at the time that was before he was on Red Bull. Um, at the time I was riding for a small, uh, mountain bike brand from BC called Cove Bikes. And so he was based out of Bromont, super rad, like kind of little redneck kid with like always a big smile on his face and like just stoked, sent it so hard on a bike. And, uh, he progressed really quickly. I think I must have met him around his junior years. We have the same birthday, him and I. So I think he was a year older than me. So he must have been in his very first year in elite racing. And I think he was just starting to like get exposed to like the downhill world cup scene. Uh, 
Um, but he progressed super, super fast and uh, quickly became one of the top racers. And yeah, I got on Red Bull, uh, Red Bull helmet and uh, got all sorts of new bike sponsors in like moving on year after year. But at the time, you know, he was just some guy from BC who's like basing out of Bromont and, and Matt DePel, his team manager was like, via, you go show him around. Like, I don't have time to go riding. And I was like, okay. And so, yeah, we became good friends and uh, it was cool to see him progress so fast. And, uh, and yeah, he became an absolute legend. He's the only Canadian to have ever won uh, an overall world cup title. And uh, yeah, shout out to Stevie. Uh, Unfortunately, passed a few years ago, a handful of years ago now, um, in a moto accident. But he is uh, always present in our heart. He's like the kind of guy that just lived like no one, like no one else, like just lived 200%, like just such a happy dude and just grabbed life by the throat. And just very inspiring for us to carry on with that kind of mentality. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of like the one that I, I keep close to my heart. Uh, for sure. And then other ones that stand out would have been, uh, again, through connection with the same team manager, there was the like monster specialized team that based out of Bromont, which used to be the monster energy iron horse team. Iron horse is like this bike brand that like is pretty OG. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if they kept making bikes, but long story short, it became the monster specialized team. And at the time they had like the number one goat, like Sam Hill. And they had Brendan Fairclaw, which is like one of the most stylish ri- racers and riders. And, uh, and yeah, like I was exposed to like some of the very top, top athletes uh, at like a very young age. I was 17 or 18 when I started biking. And so, yeah, it was pretty cool to be exposed to those kind of people. And I think it was cool um, reflecting back to just be exposed by them without me knowing how big of a deal they really were. Like, I don't know. I've never had this sort of starstrucking thing that some people get. I'm just like, I don't know. I met like, I knew they had like monster helmets or Red Bull helmets, but like didn't think much of it. Like I was probably more worried at the time about trying to figure out what they were saying to me in English and trying to translate and trying to speak with them and like trying to like explain to them what was coming up on the trails and like, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it was cool to be exposed to that environment right away. And so since then, like having met so many cool people, I just like enjoy meeting them as, as people, as who they are, as for, for, for people and also how cool of riders they are, but never been super, never got any sort of starstrucking with anyone. So that's pretty special though, to have <laughs> just gotten this early start in mountain biking and all of a sudden have, all of these legends of the sport around and while we're kind of on stevie just if anyone hasn't seen it yet at this point uh the long live chainsaw documentary on his life and career is spectacular and you should go watch it so absolutely plug that real quick and uh it is now available for streaming which is super right. cool yeah exactly last year so that is extremely worth a watch but uh and yeah stevie was incredible it was also really awesome to see finn isles finally get that first world cup win in canada a few weeks ago and kind of just all of the sort of shout outs to stevie that came with that for just having kind of inspired this younger generation of canadian racers now so that was also awesome but anyway to, to bring it back to your trajectory at this stage okay so you've at this point you've been mountain biking for a couple of years in this very downhill racing 
oriented environment and that was kind of where you cut your teeth with it. So what did the next steps and next few years look like for you of kind of progressing and getting more into mountain biking and starting on your way to being the pro rider that you are now? <laughs> uh, I guess it only took like a year of me biking to realize that every now and then the whole town of Bromont, which is usually buzzing and full of riders would be pretty empty and dead. Cause everybody would go either to like Canada cup racing or Quebec cup racing. And like, they just basically would like go, you know, drive a few hours to a different town and hit a, a race run or hit a race weekend. And so it, it only took like one or two weekends for me to realize like, okay, like I'm kind of by myself and that's kind of lame. Like I want to ride with my friends. I want to check out new places too. And so I was like inquiring about like me coming along with them and racing, not because I cared to race, but just because I was stoked to check out a new place, hang out with my friends, go on a road trip. Like that sounded super wicked. So, and doing it during race weekends was actually super smart at the time. Racing used to be kind of cheap. Like you'd pay like 60 bucks to register. You'd get three days worth of lift passes. And then you're sharing like, super small hotel rooms with a handful of friends. And so it's like dirt cheap. You're going somewhere cool, checking out new trails and racing. And so that's where a lot of crashing happened. Cause like I was only a year into riding, barely how to, you know, push myself to go faster. Right. But uh, yeah, learning curve went pretty, pretty steep there, but it was super fun. And I definitely just wanted to keep doing that. And it didn't take long that, I got selected by the Canadian, the Quebec team to go out to BC because every two years, our national champs would either be in Quebec, which is when I did my first race. That was national champs at Mont Saint-Anne. It's like gnarliest track to ever start racing probably, but somehow kept, kept with it. But anyways, two years later, it was national champs in BC. I think it must have been like Panorama at the time or Kicking Horse, one of those resorts. And so I would get some support with the Quebec team. Uh, more so just like organization did pick us up at the airport and whatnot expenses was mostly on, uh, on our own. But, um, again, it was just like a fun organized way and probably more like just simpler and cheaper to do it then than like me, like by myself being like, I'm going to go to BC and ride some bikes. Like that inquires a lot of logistics. And when you're like 19 years old, it's just, you know, it's just not, it's just a lot of work. And, uh, my mom was not against me riding bikes. She was not very much for me racing bikes, but financially it was always like, every, everything was always dealt on my own. I just like would go to school, work part-time, save all my pennies. And every, every one of those would go into biking and every year kind of like upgrade a bike, like sell a used bike, get a new, better one, sell it, get a new, a new, better used one. And then eventually one of my friends helped me get a good deal on a brand new bike because they just had connections with the brands. And so I was super fortunate to have that, you know, group environment where they had those connections. And so those connections I was able to use uh, for my entire career. And still then like there's, there's other connections that have grown into new roles, into new companies. And I'm still thinking of reaching out to them because I've known them for so long, but also now they can maybe be one of my sponsors. So that's pretty sweet. Um, so yeah, started racing uh, some Canada Cups out in BC. Uh, and after one of those, I think it was 2010, I uh, I ended up staying. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if I didn't have a round trip booked or what, but I remember we raced the, Canada champ the national champs in a Canada Cup. And I ended up 
linking up with a friend of mine who was staying in Whistler for the summer. And I ended up spending a few weeks in Whistler and I was wicked. And while I was in Whistler, I heard back from the national team after we had done national champs and I had gotten a selection for the national team to compete at world champs, which was happening in mont in 2010. So that was my first um, international level race. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where it all started as well. And uh, I had enough UCI points from the get-go when I did my first race in 08. You needed to like do a certain results, collecting UCI points to qualify to register for a World Cup. But from the get-go, there was so little, there's there's not many of us women that race. There's less than 10 of us. And so I think I placed seventh in my first ever race at St. Anne and had something like 40 UCI points, which is what you needed. Or maybe at the time you needed 20 UCI points. So little. But yeah, 2011, I started to race World Cups. And uh, yeah, I think every year since 09, I had a pretty decent injury. Uh, and I've had a couple of years since where I've, I've had, you know, just no injuries. But uh, it was just like a quick learning progression. And so, yeah, crashes happen and racetracks are pretty rough. So it doesn't forgive much, but I learned really quickly. That's for sure. But within all the injuries that I've had, I was able to recover from them, rehab, and still ride bikes enough throughout the year to still see that I had um, I had become a better rider at the end of each year, which was pretty pretty cool and motivating me to go back the next year. You know, it never never turned me off too much. Yeah, and just diving straight into World Champs at Mont Saint Anne is quite a way to do it. What was that first big international race like? What was the experience of showing up there and? having to get after it on on that track like i mean it was in 2010 and my first race had been monsignan national champs uh at monsignan in 08 and i think every year we had either a quebec cup or a canada cup or national champs at monsignan so i had been exposed to that track in 08 09 and then 2010 was world champs we probably had a quebec cup earlier that year at monsignan so I knew the track well, and it almost didn't feel like such a big deal because it was just like, oh, yeah, we're going to Mont Saint-Anne, and you know a lot of people, and some of your other friends are also part of the national team. So, But the experience of being with like exposed to all of the other like cross-country racers and the other BC racers that maybe I didn't know, and uh, the whole experience was super cool. I didn't make it to my race run. I remember in one of my practice runs, I crashed and injured a shoulder like a rotator cuff injury and it was not like a massive injury that took me out for too long but it was enough like of a sharp pain that like you just your shoulder is just shut down for the weekend and you just gotta sit it out i'm sure it helped having it be on kind of home soil of a sort and somewhere you were familiar you weren't going fully into the deep end i suppose but then so you talked about you know next season you kick things off racing the the world cup circuit and so what was that next step forward like, I guess, just having to start traveling more, heading over to Europe, all the rest? I mean, that, I'm sure, felt like a, a bigger leap in some ways. It definitely did. I'm trying to think, like, who I was riding for in 2011. 2011, I think I was still, well, I, I was privateer for a lot of my career, but at the beginning, it was very much like me on my own and reaching out to my friends that I knew from the industry. And they would allow me to pit in the corner of their pit set up and maybe stick some accommodation with one crew and, you know, just trying to make ends meet at a pretty low cost. 
But uh, it was cool. I mean, for me, it was more so like my first World Cup would have been 2011. It would have been Fort William in uh, Scotland. And then I think the following week would have been in Leogang in Austria. Um, so, yeah, I was just traveling with some friends. It was pretty low key. Nothing, you know, it's not like I had like sponsors paying for everything for me. And no, there's no expectations. It was just me being like, hey, I have points. And I can do the same thing I've been doing for the last three, four years, except internationally and check out Scotland and check out Austria and doing that with my friends too. So like, it was a great opportunity and I was super willing to, to take it. And again, from the get-go, when I had been exposed with all of that, my goal was like, I want to see just how far I can take it. And if I can take it to the point where I can hang out with my new international friends and go around with them and race those crazy race tracks that I've seen in bike films and whatnot, um, that's pretty cool. And at the same time I was growing in my riding skills. And so, yeah, it just felt like the right thing to do. Even if it just ate all of my savings every year, it was just like, what else am I going to do with my money? Like, yeah, just go traveling with your friends and get some experiences done under your belt. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, I think I got an injury. So what happened? My first World Cup. I had little points, UCI points, because the previous year I had that shoulder injury. And so what happens is when you go into qualifying, they send you down in order of how many points you have. So people that are like leading in the overall in the World Cup, they go down first and then that's for qualifying. And so because I was pretty low down, I went after or within the pack of riders that didn't have that many points. Uh, which is too bad because I like right away caught up to the ride in front of me. And that's where, unfortunately, sometimes they say like, if you're being held up, they'll give you a rerun, but they just, they just didn't. I think the marshals didn't report it. And so I got held back and the girl actually crashed and I kind of like caught on to her. And so long story short, my first world cup at Fort William, I got an issue in my qualifying catching up to the rider and I didn't make the cut. I think I qualified 29th. And I think at the time they would take 20 riders So I didn't qualify for my first World Cup, but my friends were like, hey, you're 29th in the world and you got another chance next week, go to Austria and do it again. And unfortunately, the next week I got my shoulder re-injured. And so I didn't get to make it to qualifying, but it was a sick experience. And I was just stoked to make it the year after because those races like Fort William and, and Leo Gang, they would come back year after year. So I did that for probably about 10 years. So I've gotten some racing on all of those tracks over the years and, and slowly, but surely like better my results. And, uh, yeah, I was doing it with my homies. It was so good. Yeah. I like that a lot. And hearing you talk about it, it sounds kind of like your approach was just that you had this opportunity to do it and what better time than now might as well. Where along the line there, did it really start to feel like mountain biking was a thing that you could actually make a career out of as opposed to being just the thing that you were doing because it was fun and you were stoked about it, but you were dumping your savings into it rather than the other way around and kind of where in there did that switch flip? Yeah, that's totally true. It was definitely just a hobby and my passion and what drove me so much to to keep going, but never had that thought of like living from it because it was costing me so much money, right? But year after year, you kind of get better support from some of the sponsors that you have. And um, so instead of costing me too much money or my bikes wouldn't cost me as much, and eventually I got a free bike and then you get to sell it. And it's like, well, I can sell this bike for like 
$4,000. Like that's crazy. But then 4,000 bucks goes into like your next flights round trip to Europe, you know? Um, but it just became less and less expensive. And when would it have been? I think I got on a proper World Cup team for 2015 and 2016, where they gave me a free bike and they were booking my flights to go to Europe and I had a pit set up and I was like, whoa, like I don't have to spend all that money anymore to like get to the races anymore. It's no longer like going on a trip with your friends at your own cost. It was like the team is taking you there. And, but I mean, I never saw it to be so, so serious. Thankfully I was always in a very friendly environment and the team I was racing for was super friendly. So But that's when I was kind of like, well, this is really cool. I get to keep this bike for free and I get to make a little bit of money when I sell it. Um, so that was like a transition year. And two years after that, I changed like brand sponsor entirely. And that's where I got like, okay, like two downhill bikes plus a trail bike. And then a little bit of like, you know, spare uh, expense money. Um, but yeah, over the years, it just, it just got less and less uh, expensive for me. And at some point you start getting some expense budget and I got back to being privateer because I started riding for Rocky Mountain, which didn't have a World Cup team at that time, but I was getting a little bit of salary and a little bit of expense. And so again, year after year, just getting more support and other brands as well. Like I got Trilly Designs Forever and Fox Suspension and Shimano. And so just ended up building relationships with every single sponsor until it got to more and more support. And yeah, as soon as I was getting not just product and free bikes, which is very valuable, it was also like, oh, you get like a $5,000 salary. It was like, oh, I'm making some money now. So like, I'm still going to work at home full time at that point because I finished, I finished school in 2012 and moved to BC to be able to ride in the wintertime. And I was working in restaurants just so I had the flexible schedules of like riding and training in the daytime and then working in the evenings. But working was now paying for like my rental and me like just my living costs right rather than like funding my racing seasons and so that's when I was like this is really cool and I want to do it for as long as I can and I mean it was still pretty tough because you're still going through injuries and you're still going through all that the roller coasters of you know Yeah, I mean, it's still pretty expensive at the time. And maybe you're not spending as much money towards racing, but you're still not saving money, you know, as like young adults start thinking, like, do you life saving? Because eventually you want to buy a house. And like, I was living in North Vancouver, like houses were already going for over a million bucks back in 2013. Like, there's no way I'm thinking about buying a house anytime soon. And so, yeah, it got a little bit more like pressure and stress and my family was always pressuring me to stop racing and just get a real job with the studies I had finished. And, um, but that's also came around the time where Stevie passed. That would have been in 2016 is when Stevie passed, I believe. Um, and that's where I did like a big, like pivoting moment, like all the pressure that came from outside, like my ex at the time or my family pressuring me to stop racing to, to get a real job. It also came from the place where I was doing better at world cups, but also started to like develop new issues. Like I was getting really bad arm pump. And so with downhill racing, it's super rough tracks. You're hanging on super hard. So unfortunately for me, I was getting like top five first to second splits. And then my third and fourth splits and my final time were like dropping down to like just outside top five. So I never actually podiumed at a world cup, which is super, super sad because I knew I was capable of it. My riding was there. My skills was there, but I just could not 
put that together for long enough to hang on for the whole race. So that was a lot of frustrations that started adding on as well. And that's where I was getting more and more pressure of like, okay, well, this is not a viable thing and I'm still going to spend so much money the whole time. But then again, Stevie passed and that's where it was just like a big light bulb moment of like, I don't know, screw, <laughs> screw what people think and screw like the generic, like you have to be safe and get a real job and start saving money because I don't know. I just uh, felt the drive to just live a little bit more like Stevie, which is just live for the day and do what makes you happy. And he definitely demonstrated the fact that like those things can just be taken away from you um, one day, like just like that, you know? And so super important to me to just make sure that every single day, even if I'm going through my ups and downs with racing, I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm happy. And I would, there's no other place I'd want to be because yeah, it's just, it's such a basic thing to think. Right. But like, you just forget, you just get all wrapped up with like life and like being responsible and becoming an adult. But it was just like, nah, I'm just going to keep doing it year after year for as long as I can. And I think that whole mentality made all the pressure come off of my, my shoulders and, and just focus on being happy and having a good time. And I started riding better and I started trying new things like crankworks events in between the world cup races and saw that I was doing really good at those. Those were like involving more disciplines, not just downhill. They had downhill races and I was going mainly for the downhill races, but the downhill race would be like at the end of the week on the weekend but then the whole week, there was like a bunch of other events at Crankworks, like dual slalom, maybe air downhill, pump track. Um, so I started dabbling into a couple other things and saw that it was pretty damn fun. And I was actually doing all right. So, yeah, eventually just uh, decided to transition. It must have been 2017 or 18 that I decided to like do more Crankworks and less World Cups. Uh, it just fit my riding style better. And it was not making my arm pump condition be so bad. Yeah. And then I started to make some proper prize money too. So that like added on to like the idea of like, this is really cool and I don't have to spend so much money anymore. And I'm actually making some, some pocket change and um, yeah, the rest is history. I started doing really, really well and making a lot more prize money and sponsors got way better. And I was getting like, I was capping in all my bonus structures with all my sponsors. So yeah, started to make a good amount of uh, money and I didn't have to work as much. And I start, I stopped working in the off season in 2018 um, and started traveling and I'd go to all the crankworks rounds, which started early in the season in New Zealand in March. So I started going to New Zealand, which is so sick, like middle of the winter, go somewhere super nice and, and ride bikes for a living. Like it was just a dream. So why stop, you know, just keep it going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, can't fault you for that certainly. And that kind of brings us to sort of what I was going to bring up next anyway, which was just this transition away from racing World Cups and into doing the Crankworks events and also a bunch of free ride stuff, too, uh, which kind of its own third sort of facet to your whole career here. Take us through where that got started. Was that kind of a natural progression after starting doing more Crankworks and just kind of the next step or what brought you into that world? Yeah. I mean, I spent 10 years like being in that industry and, and the, the downhill racing environment. Right. That's really like what, like, like that I was brought up by the downhill racing industry. Right. So I was in it for about 10 years until I started dabbling in crankworks and started to realize like, man, I kind of wishing I tried other disciplines before because they actually seemed to suit me a lot better. 
Um, and they brought a lot less frustrations to me than the way that the harsh downhill racing was giving to my arm pump condition. Um, but I mean, no regrets. It was like really cool to have that experience. And, um, yeah, so happily made a transition to race more crankworks and started stepping away from world cups and, uh, yeah, just doing really well. Sorry. I just had a blank on like what you, Oh, how it like brought me to free ride as well. Of course. Cause downfall, basically crankworks consists of about five different mountain bike disciplines. So there is still downhill racing, but there's air downhill racing. There's dual solemn racing. There's, and then that's like all smaller bikes, not just a downhill bike, of course. And so I kind of had to start to learn backwards. Like I literally got into mountain biking on a downhill suspension bike and I had to start learning backwards on smaller bikes and smaller travel bikes for dual solemn and then even smaller bike on hardtail to race pump tracks. And so obviously doing all of that makes you super well-rounded rider and it brings you back to the very basics. And so even 10 years after I had been mountain biking, I was still learning the very basics of like how to corner or like how to, I don't know, body positioning and like just how to sprint more efficiently and gate starts and all that stuff that you just had to bring it back to the basics. But that whole mentality of like me being super open to learning all sorts of new skills to me, it's uh, it was super um, like rejuvenating. Like it was like learning all over again, instead of just trying to perfect and become even better at downhill racing. It was just learning all sorts of stuff. And uh, I was living in BC, which you kind of get exposed to more, more jumps and more big jumps. And I got way more comfortable with airtime and actually found a lot more enjoyment in doing that than downhill racing, super rough tracks. So I just started hanging out more in that environment and racing crankworks. And then crankworks also has this event called Whip Off, massive, massive jump where it's a, it's a whip competition. And I didn't know how to whip, but I'm still going to show up because the jump looks really fun to ride. And that was a big step for me. Like, I can't even remember what year that would have been, probably 2017, where I showed up to the my first whip off. It was in Innsbruck um, in Austria. And that's one of the, like, probably one of the biggest whip off jump. And it's like majestic sitting down there below like massive Rocky mountains and like so beautiful and super um, impressive. And um, what's the word intimidating. The first time you see it, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go and see if I want to do whip off. And then you see it, you're like, there's no way I'm hitting this. <laughs> and then just sitting there and watching people hit it and it looks so smooth and so good. And it just made me so hyped. And that kind of energy is where I'm like, just go then. Like if you're hyped and you're excited and you can see yourself do it, then you just got to do it. And so I just did it. And that feeling of getting over that fear, I was, you could see me like running up to do more and more laps as soon as I got it done, you know? So that sort of uh, experience taught me a lot about just trusting that something that's super scary, but if you kind of get a feel for it and you think you got it and you're excited about it and not so terrified about it, then go with it. And uh, yeah, I've, overcome a lot of uh a lot of new things for me like big jumps or big drops and things like that and I love being a bit of a I don't know if I was being a pioneer in it I just I just love doing it and uh it's not like my whole environment around me was doing it but it was just like fueling a fire inside of me that I had never had before and I was just stoked to get more of that feeling going on and and the industry started kind of shifting and exposing a little bit more of that being like a really cool thing. And so super, and it's super like, um, supporting supportive for us to like get the industry to support that movement when you're also thinking like, I actually really love doing that a lot more than racing and the industry is supporting it. And so sponsors are now watching for that kind of content to come out. So 
yeah, it's just, uh, it's really lucky for me to have been in that wave at the right time where the industry supports it. And so, yeah, I, I wish I had been exposed to it sooner, but at the same time, I have no regrets. My whole racing uh, career was super fun and I had a good time. And so surely it got me to be super comfortable on my demo bike. And that's super important right now because demo bike goes big. And so <laughs> I love to be one with my bike, you know? Um, so yeah, that's where we're at now. I'm still, still learning and more events are coming up, uh, specifically for free riding. And I am lucky enough to have had my name out there. And so people kind of know who I am back from the racing background or even Crankworks. Cause obviously that went so well that I, I went on to get to, um, they call it queen of Crankworks title, which is just the overall title. Um, so that's sweet because then my, my name kind of pops out and stands out in the industry and now things like formation, um, events or now proving grounds. Uh, if I kind of like pop my head out be like, yo, this is cool. Can I come? They're like, yeah, of course we know you. I'm like sick. You know, it's just like very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And just certainly it was both true that as we've talked about, you, came up in a downhill racing environment. And so that was obviously where you got your start because that was what was happening and what you knew of mountain biking at that stage. But I think you're also totally right that the industry, generally speaking, just was more race focused at that point, too. And so it just kind of wasn't the case that there were as many options for people to really make a career doing something that wasn't racing as a pro athlete at that stage. And it's just been cool to see that evolve and see new pathways open up and different ideas for what being a professional mountain biker can look like. But to bring it back around to formation, which you just touched on, that's been one of the very cool comparatively recent developments in the bike scene and just having this massive free ride event for women specifically is great and tell us more about that i think you've been three years now if i have that right and take us through kind of i guess one just curious to hear about your first time showing up there in in utah and seeing that venue and you know it's pretty different riding than you get to encounter most places so what was that like and what was the whole just vibe and scene around formation like to begin with and how's that evolved over the years yeah it's actually such a crazy ride to think back on the first first edition of formation so the first formation happened in fall of 2019 um 2019 was actually huge like that was the first year i actually won the overall at crankworks and so i just got off that big high 2019 that's also when we had world champs at mont saint anne which was sick because it was like almost 10 years after my very first mont saint anne world champs race I got to go back and then around that same time like midsummer it was definitely early in the summer because we had a meeting during Crankworks Whistler that summer about formation but I remember Katie Holden who's like this OG mountain biker and she kind of was like OG into doing more um non-racing biking and make a career out of that but she had that idea of making that event that was like pretty rampage inspired but for women and she reached out to me and she was like what are you up to in, uh, uh, in October? And would you, how would you feel about coming to Utah, do some riding or like something super vague like that. And I was kind of like, Oh my God, like, where is she going with that right away? Like my brain went right away at like 
oh my god we're we're thinking of like some rampage style riding which never seen before i had never seen that done before by women and so i didn't shut it down i was like what are you up to katie like let me know i'm i'm keen i'm listening but like what exactly do you have in mind because there's no way i was going to sign up for like a competition such as rampage where you just go and send it as hard as you can like i had zero experience never been to the desert um and so i was curious but also super scared because i was like i know i'm not i'm not prepared for that kind of stuff so actually it turned out to be super sick to learn a bit more uh later in that summer that it was about having us go there it's not a competition we're just gonna put us together and having us together is definitely going to help support each other in feeding that confidence and like hitting some new stuff. Um, and the crew that she gathered, it was just six of us. The crew that she gathered were, you know, very strong downhill riders, whether it was from a, a, a racing background or a free ride background. But at the time, most of us had been racing because that was the only avenue we'd known of that. That was the only avenue you could make a living out of in the industry. So I knew all of them, uh, from racing. And so I had traveled with them before. And so we were all super tight crew and we were all like, some of them were like really scared and not really wanting to go. Cause they were that scared. And I was like, yo, all of us have never been, we're all in this together. Like just come and, uh, you're a super strong rider. Like you'll figure it out. Anyways, we got thrown in the deep end for sure. Like the first year, I think we only went for the event. There was unfortunately not that much extra spare time. So it's not like we could plan to go like a week or two early and get acclimatized to the terrain and then have the event happening. We literally just all flew in, got picked up. We had one morning session at the OG site, sessioning this one jump. And then the next day we were like course walking the site that we were going to use. And they were like, all right, pick a line. It was, what was the first time? It was 2015. Rampage site, 15, 16. And so they were like, yeah, pick a line that you want to revive and uh, or build a new one. And you have three days and you have two builders each and go. <laughs> we were kind of like, holy shit. Like just barely put the tires in the dirt, just session the jump, like not even anything like scree lines or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so we teamed up. I think I was teamed up with Vero Sandler, Tony Seagraves, uh, Vinny, I don't want to forget who else. Who else was there? There's Michaela and Hannah hanging on a different ridge. And I guess that was the four of us hanging on that other lookers right ridge. So we had found this like ridge where there was like a couple of drops and they were pretty exposed on the ridge. But then we had spotted this other bit where like instead of a massive drop where the landing was super flat and like the boys, the local boys told us it was like a super shitty drop and like head bobs and not very good for leading into the jump after it after it so we were like why don't we build like a fresh new like line that like crosses over on the side hill and it was like what was it again it's still there like that's like probably the most ridden line in all of utah like people just show up and go ride the 15 like formation line uh and it's like little drop skip or gap little mini canyon thingy hip line into the trick jump and so we built that and we did that and it looked so scary at the time. Like even on the day where we walked the whole terrain to decide where we want to take our lines, it was a bit breezy that day. And you could see us literally like reach for the ground on all fours. Like, like you're, you're sitting on a ridge. That's probably three, four foot wide in places. Some other places it's probably just like crevasse, like super, super skinny. And so you're exposed and it's just like, what are we doing here? 
Um, but after a few days of being exposed to that, it's, uh, it gets a lot more comfortable and it's, uh, it's not that silly if you know where to stand and where to look and yeah. But long story short, we built that stuff thinking this is really crazy. I've never done anything like this. This is going to be really scary. And as soon as you like hit like the first drop or the second feature for the first time, you're like, Oh, actually that felt a lot smoother and somehow a lot slower and more controlled than what it looks like. You're just looking at this like massive, steep, like Canyon, like steep shoot. And it turns out you can actually go, quite a bit slower than what it looks like. And so right away, the first time we wrote our lines, we were like, mm, we could have gone definitely bigger, but good learning curve. And that was definitely the goal we had in mind the whole week is to build something that was going to make us stoked to come back rather than just like terrified and then want, want to touch it again, you know? So yeah, that was mission accomplished. We were stoked. And uh, 2020 was a pause year because of the pandemic, but 2021, we came back uh, in the spring that time. And yeah, things ramped up really quickly then because that's where we were like, okay, we learned the first time that things ride a lot smoother and chiller than they look like. And so we also went a week early and just got to like ride a bunch of older sites. And so got acclimatized really quickly. And yeah, from there on, it just ramped up super, super fast. And 2021 and 2022 were a very good showing of of that kind of progression in free ride. Yeah, it's been really cool to follow along and just watch it build momentum and watch you all go bigger each year. And, uh, here's to keeping that going. Fortunately, the 2022 iteration didn't go entirely smoothly for you. And True. honestly, I kind of forget because it was super rad at <laughs> the best time, but you are correct. It did end up being not so awesome for me after all. I, I love that, that <laughs> despite blowing up your knee, you're like, Oh no, actually that was pretty awesome. It's good. Uh, <laughs> But you've been kind of powering through this season with your knee not exactly held together as well as it ought to be. Tell us a little bit about that and how it's going and how you decided to sort of push through with it rather than take a pause and get things screwed back together. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, I kind of forget. 2022 formation was super rad. I felt like on like I felt like in a way I've never felt before because I think for the first time not only I pushed myself and built something bigger than I had done before, I could also just spot features without having someone else spot it for me. I could spot something and be like, I've never done something this big or like this, but I think I've seen someone hit it and I think I got this. And uh, it was really crazy new sort of, not confidence, but just trust in my skill set and trust that like I was going to be okay doing that thing, even if I had never, nothing else to compare it to. Um, and it actually did work out. Like I had this like big hip from the 20, again, it was 2015 site. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was this iconic hip feature that I had seen like Aggie and Lacondigi and Sorgi like soar. And basically the, those years where rampage were held on that site, that line was like where the rampage winners came out of. And so at the time I kind of forgot about the whole winner's Ridge thing. I just remembered the feature, the hip feature and like how rad it looked and, uh, I knew no girls had ever hit it. And I was just like, why the heck not? Like, it looks so good. It's still right there. It needs very little work. Um, and that whole ridge was pretty high speed and big hits, which fits my style a lot better than slow, techy, janky free ride hits, you know? So I was like, it fits my style and it's going to push me and it's going to be rad. And I was so stoked for it. 
and it actually worked out really well. And we hit the the whole ridge and the the hip a few times. And uh, I was just uh, in the middle of getting comfortable to build into the next big drop, which was another big crux move on the line. Uh, and then, yeah, on the second riding day, I was warming up and just we were waiting for the wind to be less gusty for the drop because the drop was very much where you get like full floating uh, feels. And if it's slightly gusty or windy, you're just it's not worth it. It's really not worth it at all. But we were still warming up on the rest of the line because it's more high speed and sometimes forgiving even if there's a little bit of gust but not so much that one time and the hip actually took me out which is uh unfortunate and I dabbed my foot out and uh blew my knee I just blew my ACL right off and uh also did partially tore my my meniscus um but yeah uh when I first got home and got that diagnose um, they told me how, I mean, I could do knee reconstruction, but then you're out for four to six months at least. And, uh, they told me how I seemed to be coping. They were very surprised that my ACL was, was torn because I, I was kind of walking already, like not walking super well because the ACL, the way that it coiled itself up, it kind of lodged itself between the knee joint. And so my range of movement was not complete. But because of that, the surgeon was like, we can actually go straight in, do a scope and snip the coiled ACL so that your range of movement is back to complete. But we knew right away that I was probably going to be one of those, I think it's 30% of people that cope without having an ACL. And they were like, you can build up your uh, hamstring and it can kind of make up for that sort of ACL function, wear any brace when you ride, obviously. And uh, the meniscus partial tear, he was able to just trim it, uh, which is not ideal because it's still weaker and whatnot. And it's actually still giving me quite a bit of swelling and grief. But uh, as far as not having an ACL, potentially not a problem. I was definitely willing to try to still have an entire summer ahead of me of biking, you know, and uh, maybe get surgery in the off season if it doesn't work out. But it turned out to actually work out because I showed up it was crazy. Actually, I think it was three weeks after surgery, um, which is, I think entirely, it was four weeks after the crash. I showed up to Innsbruck Crankworks the first round of the year and I packed all my bikes, having ridden some of them just once, just before flying. And, uh, I was going to Innsbruck thinking I'll try, but also I'm okay with like, if my knee is not okay with it, I'll just sit in the booth and be a commentator for the event. Like, I don't know, it's just nice to be there, represent like, you're you're the person that's holding on to the title and you want to defend it and if you can't race well at least be there and like just be stoked for everybody else going into crankworks here um but it actually turned out to be insanely good and and i mean it definitely took a lot of physio and a lot of swelling management but uh i still competed in all the events and did, did pretty damn decent as well so set me up all good and yeah I'm just kind of taking it uh event by event at this point I'm riding a lot less than I would if I didn't have that kind of swelling um because my knee does get pretty cranky with me when I ride so yeah just picking my battles for sure but doing all the crank works is doing a little bit of free ride to stay relevant and proving grounds is coming up and I'm trying as much as possible to not let it stress me out but rather just go with it it will be a test on my knee for sure. Although I hope that I do land everything smoothly. I aim to ride smoothly. And so fingers crossed it goes this way, but it is a risk I'm taking and it's just, it's just how it is. Right. Like, but biking is what I do. So risks are going to happen. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to just go with it with the mentality of like 
making sure I find that like excitement where I'm fired up and I'm stoked to hit it, which is how I've um, taken my entire free ride career so far is just like, if it feels right and you're excited and you can see yourself do it, go. But if it's more so I'm scared and it's kind of windy and it's not worth it and I'm scared and maybe it's going to jeopardize the rest of my season, then yeah, it's okay to just back off. It's like we, we, we learn it and it's, it's actually hard to do it in, in, it's hard to do it physically rather than how it sounds in theory, but saying no to those situations where you, you know, the risk is maybe higher than the worth than what it will bring to your life. Then it's important to know to just back off and that's okay too. Cause you'll just come back another day where it's full on and it's go time. And that's when you succeed. I'm in it for the long game, you know, <laughs> I like that answer a lot. And that's probably a, Pretty good note to wrap up on here. I know you have a ferry to catch, so I need to let you get going pretty soon here. But looking forward to seeing Proving Grounds next week and uh, following along with that. So here's to all the best to you and everyone else going out there. But just to send it home, we do like to ask if people have a big idea to share to wrap up the show. <laughs> so you got anything for us? For sure. First of all, thank you so much. I'm super hyped to go. And like I said, I'm just, I know I'm going to show up there and be super excited and want to like send it. And then we'll just have to see what kind of conditions Mother Nature hands us. But I know the course builders have been working really hard. The course is looking really sick. I can't wait to be there in person, push myself, like that kind of stuff just feels awesome. And I guess whether I was able to ride or not, I was already, I already knew I was going to go just to watch, even if I wasn't selected by the committee. Like I just wanted to be there. Uh, it's an industry that I very much support. I am completely passionate with free ride. Uh, I'm still going to go to Crankworks on the side, but I definitely made this transition mentally where like free ride is what really fuels my fire and uh, definitely pushing it. Um, as far as big ideas, I do have a personal project that I, I have been dabbling with mentally or just been thinking about for a couple of years. Uh, I'm going to keep it somewhat secret for now, but basically it's just like a big free ride project. I just, I need myself and my riding to catch up before I can produce that project. But uh, yeah, something I'm very stoked on. It's going to be a once in a lifetime. And uh, yeah, I really hope that uh, I get to show you guys soon, but I got some work to do for sure. Well, that's a pretty intriguing teaser and, we're looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. So <laughs> this has been great. Thanks for coming on and for taking time to sit down. And once again, good luck at Proving Grounds and looking forward to following along with it. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate anyone else out there interested interested in, in us riders. And uh, I hope everybody shows up at Proving Grounds or watches online wherever they can, because this is definitely uh, the start of something big for us. And uh, I'm so, so fired up. It's going to be sick. I can't wait. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I also want to say thanks to Vea for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.